referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke the following date with tears. He said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years, for the dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth, and now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. The Dash Poem by Linda Ellis. Welcome to week seven of our study on the books of First and Second Peter. I am Anne Blanchett, and I am part of the teaching team for women's Bible study here at LifePoint Church. In this session, I am honored to present Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Previously, we learned in 1 Peter that as believers, we are a holy nation called to live a new life. This new life is the only way we can endure persecution. And it's only by the grace of God that we are restored and made strong, firm, and steadfast. As we transition to 2 Peter, we learn that Peter, imprisoned in Rome by Nero, was facing execution. This is when he penned his final letter to believers, addressing the threat of the false teachers that were infiltrating the churches. In his writing, he instructs Christians on how to defend themselves against this falsity, while encouraging them to continue to develop their Christian character so they can live a life of godliness. In verse 1, Peter opens up with a customary greeting to the church where he introduces himself and his relationship to Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. By introducing himself as Simon Peter, he reminds the church of his transformation in Jesus Christ, from a fisherman to a fisher of men. It reflects his journey of sanctification at a time when his death was imminent. In addressing himself as a servant and apostle, he reveals the humble surrender of his life to Christ, as well as the authority as an appointed apostle by Christ. Peter was a man of faith, and his life exhibited the call as a chosen one that was only made possible through the grace of God. Peter was a man of believing faith, where in Matthew 16, 16, he confesses Jesus is Lord. Peter was also a man of fearless faith, where in Matthew 14, he steps out on the water. But Peter was also a man of failing faith, where in John 18, 13 through 27, he denies Jesus three times. However, Peter's faith was never complacent, but was ever growing by the grace of God. And through that, he lived a life of transformation. This is the basis of his words and his encouragement as he addresses the threat of false teachers. Peter is reminding his audience of the life they can live through the same precious gift of faith and with a focus on an ever-growing knowledge of God and Jesus. You see, Peter's life and ours is like the dash in the poem by Linda Ellis. It's how we live between the numbers that matter. 
It's not always perfect, but instead full of ups and downs like the waves of the stormy waters when Peter stepped out of the boat. It was his faith that led him to walk on water, but his fear that caused him to sink. Throughout it all, Jesus was there and immediately reached for his hand lifting him up. In verse 3-4, Peter emphasizes how it's God's power that endows believers to escape evil desires and live a godly life. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Divine, which is mentioned twice in these verses, means pertaining to God. Divine is all that bears the stamp of God. It is what God is, who God is, it is the bloom of his character, his glory. The word for power here is an inherent power and refers to God's potency. We enjoy built-in power to live the Christian life and be his image bearers. Notice how Peter's words in verse 3 point to life and godliness. When Peter referred to life, eternal life is intended. John 17, 3 addresses eternal life this way. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Believers have eternal life, and with that are able to live godly lives. Experientially sharing in God's nature, like the poem, The Dash, what matters in life is how we live. Life is best lived when we live to reflect the very nature that empowers all life, the nature of God. This is not a simple life, nor is it one we live on our own. But as Peter reminds us, it is all found in the knowledge of God and through faith in Jesus Christ. We will notice that Peter uses two different meanings of the word knowledge, epinosis and gnosis. The knowledge that Peter is speaking about here in verse 3 is the word epinosis, meaning a deep personal knowledge of God. While later, verse 5, we see gnosis used, which is the knowledge of truths about God and is part of the process in gaining that deeper knowledge, epinosis. Both terms for knowledge are key factors in living this godly life. And since faith comes from hearing the word of God, we can conclude that knowledge is essential to our faith. In verses 5 through 7, Peter describes how we can supplement our faith. Faith, in essence, is the key that unlocks our life's potential. Faith is the starting point, and after that, it is all about what is built upon it by the divine power of God. Peter, who professed his faith in Matthew 16, prompted Jesus to speak these words, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Upon this rock means upon this divine revelation and profession of faith in Christ. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness 
and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. These are the seven virtues that Peter encourages believers to live by. So let us break these down. Faith with virtue. Virtue is moral excellence demonstrated outwardly and powerfully in life. This is living your faith out by the example of Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. 1 John 2.6 Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge here is the word gnosis, which is referring to the truths of the faith. Virtue is guided by the knowledge of what is true, and God's holy word is true. Knowledge with self-control. Out of knowledge, there should arise an applicable restraint that leads to a balanced life. Self-restraint is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22-23. And 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. A life lived by the virtues of God will reveal discipline and perseverance at all times, even in times of trouble. This is doing right under pressure. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians 6.9 Steadfastness with godliness. This is the continual pursuit of the godly life. Remember verse 3? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, godliness with brotherly affection. The life and character of Christ in us is one of kindness and reveals an affection to others that is willing to sacrifice. This is brotherly kindness to all people and is demonstrated with how we treat them, both with our actions and our words. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, Romans 12, 10. And finally, brotherly affection with love. Now this is the ultimate virtue and one we cannot possess on our own. This virtue reveals the truth in which we live by in the very nature of the heart of God. This is agape love. How we behave and how we relate to the world ought to be laced with genuine love in word and in deed. Remembering the greatest commandments in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These virtues can all be summed up and bound in love. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him in John 21, 15 through 19. And three times Peter answered, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus simply ends this conversation with a command, follow me. Like the end of the Dash poem, what matters is how we live and love and how we spend our Dash. Living our lives, following Jesus, and living that example out, this is what Peter was reminding his audience, and this is what we too can take to heart. As Peter goes on to encourage believers to live out the nature of Christ that was bestowed to them through the grace of God, 
and as he laid out the seven virtues, the qualities to grow in and live by. He then explains why this is so important in facing the opposition of false teachers. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These qualities are referring to the seven virtues and are meant to continually increase. In so doing, the believer bears the fruit. The fruit is the knowledge, which is the deep and personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter expresses the importance of being diligent in our walk in the faith. Peter is saying that God saves and empowers us through grace to live now and through eternity. But he wants us to live confidently and with assurance in our salvation. And the best way to do that is to be pursuing godly virtues and actively growing in the Christian life. The growing Christian living an active and godly life will not stumble, will not fall, meaning they will not forsake God, abandon him, or commit apostasy, which means falling away from the faith. Peter wrote this letter to encourage believers to live out the evidential life and love of Christ through a deep knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ to live secure and confident in their faith by diligently seeking to grow in the living virtues of Christ, a life they can trust and be confident in, knowing that they are secure in him, a dash worth speaking about, is a life that is ever-growing with ups and downs, but always confidently secure. This is a life well-lived and one that most certainly and deservingly will hear the words, well done good and faithful servant. So what does Peter's message written so long ago to an audience from another time have to do with us today? Everything. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said in Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new or different in our world today. We are dealing with similar issues and struggles in the faith. We suffer the same trials and persecutions that Peter's original audience dealt with. And we too face the same opposition to our walk from false teachers. But we also have the same precious gift of faith and the truth to live by. God's word is just as real and powerful today. His love is just as extravagant and in the face of a sinful world, his grace abounds even more. With all that, we too can be encouraged through Peter's departing words. And we can, by the grace of God, live godly lives by diligently growing and trusting that he will complete the good work in us as we make it our aim to grow in the knowledge of Christ and live out our dash in faith. From one daughter to another, let me leave you with an image. We have all seen a father dancing with his daughter 
on her wedding day. But we can only imagine that as he let go of her hand and handed her over to her new husband, that his heart was still holding on with a vow to never let go. Now let's rewind many years earlier. This bride was only a little girl wanting to dance with her daddy and how eager she was to move gracefully with him. But her feet were too tiny to keep up with his stride. And in her awkwardness, she would stumble through every movement. And as she attempted to hold on tight, as not to fall away, her little fingers could barely grasp a hold of his hand, causing her to slip. In this, she felt so inadequate, but the father. He lovingly placed his daughter on the top of his firm and steady feet while he gently but assuredly held her tight so she would not fall away. Then as he moved, she would lean in, trusting in his grip. As he would move again and again, his daughter would grow to trust in his movements more and more. And it was his job to move and hold her. She only needed to lean deeper into her faithful father's arms. She began to see that in his movements, she was moving and dancing gracefully, not on her own, but in the love that would carry her all the days of her life. Lean in and pursue the life that has been given and trust that you will never fall away because it is God's grace that will carry you.